0: Chapter 3 of Old Time Makers of Medicine This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adam Marcetic. September 2009. Alexandria, Virginia. Old Time Makers of Medicine by James Joseph. Chapter 3. Great Jewish Physicians Part two of two The prominent Jewish physician of the ninth century was Joshua Ben Nun, Harun El Rashid, whose attempts to secure justice for his people are the subject of so much legendary lore, and whose place in history may be best recalled by the fact that he is a contemporary of Charlemagne, was particularly interested in medicine. He founded the city of Taurus as a memorial of the cure of his wife. He was a generous patron of the school of John de Sabor and established a medical school also at Baghdad. He provided good salaries for the professors, insisted on careful examinations, and raised the standard of medical education for a time to a noteworthy degree. The greatest teacher of this school at Baghdad was Joshua ben Nun, sometimes known as the rabbi of Seleucia. His teaching attracted many students to Baghdad, and his fame as one of the great practitioners of medicine of this time brought many patients. Among his disciples was John Mausay, whose Arabian name is so different, Yahia ben Masovia, that in order to avoid confusion in reading it, it is important to know both. Almost better known, perhaps, at this time was Abu Joseph Jacob ben Isaac Kendi. Fortunately for the after time, these men devoted themselves not only to their own observations and writings, but made a series of valuable translations. Joshua ben Nun seems to have been particularly zealous in this matter, following the example of Maser-Jawa of Basra. Baghdad then became a center for Arabian culture. Mahmud, one of Harun's successors, provided in Baghdad a refuge for the learned men of the East who were disturbed by the wars and troubles of the time. He became a liberal patron of literature and education, When the Emperor Michael III of Constantinople was conquered in battle, one of the obligations imposed upon him was to send many camel loads of books to Baghdad, and Aristotle and Plato were studied devotedly and translated into Arabic. The era of culture affected not only the capital but all the cities, and everywhere throughout the Arabian Empire schools and academies sprang up. We have records of them at Basra, Samarkand, Ispahan. From here the thirst for education spread to other cities ruled by the Mohammedans, and each town became affected by it. Alexandria, the cities of the Barbary states, those of Sicily and Provence, where Moorish influences were prominent, and of distant Spain, Cordova, seville toledo granada saragossa all took up the rivalry for culture which made this a glorious period in the history of the intellectual life already in the chapter on great physicians in early christian times i have pointed out that many of the teachers of the arabs were christian physicians here it is proper to emphasize the other important factor in arabian medicine the jewish physicians who influenced the great Arabian rulers and were the teachers of the Arabs in medicine and science generally. These Christian and Jewish physicians particularly encouraged the translation of the works of the great Greek physicians and thus kept the Greek medical tradition from dying out. It is not until the end of the ninth, or even the beginning of the 10th century that we begin to have important contributors to medicine from among the Arabs themselves. Even at this time, they have distinguished rivals among Jewish physicians. Indeed, these acquired such a reputation that they became the physicians to monarchs and even high ecclesiastics, and we find them nearly everywhere throughout Europe. Their success was so great that it is not surprising that after a time The vogue of the Jewish physicians should have led to jealousy of them and to the passage of laws and decrees limiting their sphere of activity. The great Jewish physician of the ninth century was Isaac ben Solomon, better known as Isaac el-Israeli and who is sometimes spoken of as Disraeli. He was a pupil of Isaac ben Amram the Younger, probably a grandson of another Ben Isaac Amran, who, after having become famous in Baghdad, went to Cairo and became the physician of the Emir Jadeth III. The younger Isaac established a school, and it was with him that Israeli obtained his introduction to medicine. He practiced first as an oculist and then became a body physician to the Sultan of Morocco. Because of the sympathy of his character and his unselfishness, he acquired great popularity. Hertel refers to him respectfully as that scholarly son of Israel. Curiously enough, considering racial feeling in the matter, he never married, and when asked why he had not, and whether he did not think that he might regret it, he replied, I have written four books through which my memory will be better preserved than it would be by descendants." End quote. The four books are his Treatise on Fevers, his Treatise on Simple Medicines and Ailments, a Treatise on the Elements, and a Treatise on the Urine. Besides these, we have from him shorter works, On the Pulse, On Melancholy, and andropsy his hope with regard to his fame from these works was fulfilled for they were printed as late as fifteen fifteen at leyden and sprengel declared them the best compendium of simple remedies and the diet that we have from the arabian times one of his translators into latin has called him the monarch of physicians some of his maxims are extremely interesting in the light of modern notions on the same subjects. He declared emphatically that, quote, the most important duty of the physician is to prevent illness. Most patients get better without much help from the physician by the power of nature, End quote. He emphasized his distrust of using many medicines at the same time in the hope that some of them would do good. He laid it down as a rule quote, employ only one medicine at a time in all your cases, and note its effects carefully. End quote. He was as wise with regard to medical ethics as therapeutics. He advised a young physician quote, never speak unfavorably of other physicians. Every one of us has his lucky and unlucky hours. End quote. It is pleasant to learn that the old gentleman lived to fill out a full hundred years of life and that in his declining years he was surrounded by the goodwill and the affection of many who had learned to know his precious qualities of heart and mind more than of any other class of physicians do we find the large human sympathies of the jewish physicians of the middle ages praised by their contemporaries and succeeding generations During the next centuries, a number of Jewish physicians became prominent, though none of them until Maimonides impressed themselves deeply upon the medical life of their own and succeeding centuries. Very frequently, they were the physicians to royal personages. Zedkias, for instance, was the physician to Louis the Pious and later to his son Charles the Bald. His reputation as a physician was great enough to give him the popular estimation of a magician, but it did not save him from the accusations of having poisoned Charles when that monarch died suddenly. There seemed to be no good grounds, however, for the accusation. There were a number of schools of medicine in Sicily and the southern part of Italy in which Jewish, Arabian, and Christian physicians taught side by side. One of these teachers was Jude Sabbatai ben Ibrahim, usually known by the name of Donolo, who was famous both as a writer on medicine and on astronomy. Donolo studied and probably taught at Tarentum, and there were similar schools at Palermo, at Bari, and then later on the mainland at Salerno. The foundation of Salerno, in which Jewish physicians also took part, we shall discuss later, in the special chapter devoted to that subject. One of the great translators, whose work meant very much for the medical science of his own and succeeding generations, was the distinguished Jewish physician Faraj ben Salim, sometimes spoken of as Ferraci Farragut, or Ferrarius, who was born at Girgenti in Sicily. He made his medical studies in Salerno, and did his work under the patronage of Charles of Anjou. toward the end of the 13th century. His greatest work is the translation of the whole on the continents of Razi's. The translation is praised as probably the best of its time made in the Middle Ages. Farage came at the end of a great century, when the intellectual life of Europe had reached a high power of expression, and it is not surprising that he should have proved equal to his environment. This translation has also some additions made by Farage himself, notably a glossary of Arabian names. In Spain also, Jewish physicians rose to distinction. The most distinguished in the 10th century was Chazdai ben Shaprut. Like many of the great physicians of this time, he had studied astronomy as well as the medical sciences. He became the physician of the Caliph Abd-ur-Rahman III of Cordova. He seems also to have exercised some of the functions of prime minister to the Caliph and took advantage of diplomatic relations between his sovereign and the Byzantine emperor to obtain some works of Dioscorides. These he translated into Arabian with the help of a Greek monk whom he seems to have secured through the diplomatic relations. Undoubtedly, he did much to usher in that enthusiasm for education and study which characterized the next centuries, the 11th and 12th, at Cordova in Spain, when such men as Avenzor, Avicenna, and Averroes attracted the attention of the educational world of the time. Jewish writers have sometimes claimed one of the most distinguished of these, Avenzor himself, as a Jew, but Hertel and other good authorities consider him of Arabic extraction and point to the fact that his ancestors bore the name of Mohammed. This is not absolutely conclusive evidence, but because of it, I have preferred to class Avanzor among the Arabian physicians. The one historical fact of importance for us is that everywhere in Europe at the time, Jews were being accorded opportunities for the study and practice of medicine. There are local incidents of persecution, but we are not so far away from the feelings that brought these about as to misunderstand them or to think that they were anything more than local, popular manifestations. The more we know about the details of the medical history of these times, the deeper is the impression of academic freedom and of opportunities for liberal education." Much has been said about the intolerance of ecclesiastical authorities toward the Jews and of the church decrees that either absolutely forbade their practice of the medical profession and their devotion to scientific study, or at least made these pursuits much more difficult for them than for others. Of course, it has to be conceded, even by those who most insistently urge the existence of formal legislation in the matter, that, in spite of these decrees, and intolerance and opposition, Jews continued to practice medicine, and to be the chosen physicians of kings and even of high ecclesiastical dignitaries, as well, indeed, of the popes themselves. This, it is usually declared, must be attributed to the surpassing skill of the Jewish physicians, causing men to overcome their prejudices and override even their own legal regulations. There is no doubt at all about the skill of Jewish physicians at many times during the Middle Ages. There is no doubt also of the sentiment of opposition that often developed between the Christian peoples and the Jews. Any excuse is good enough to justify men, to themselves at least, in putting obstacles in the paths of those who are more successful than they are themselves. Religion often became a cloak for ill-will and persecution. The state of affairs that has been presumed, however, according to which laws and decrees were being constantly issued forbidding the practice of medicine to Jews by the ecclesiastical authorities, while at the same time they themselves and those who were nearest to them were employing Jewish physicians, is an absurdity that, on the face of it, calls for investigation of the conditions, and from its very appearance would indicate that the ordinary historical assumption in the matter must be wrong. I have been at some pains, then, to try to find out just what were the conditions in Europe with regard to the practice of medicine by the Jews, There is no doubt that at Salerno, where the influence of the Benedictines was very strong, and where the influence of the popes and the ecclesiastical authorities was always dominant, full liberty of studying and teaching was from the earliest days allowed to the Jews. Down at Montpellier it seems clear that Jewish physicians had a large part in the foundation of the medical school, and continued for several centuries to be most important factors in the maintenance of its reputation and the upbuilding of that fame which draws students from even distant parts of europe to this medical school in the south of france during the ninth tenth eleventh and twelfth centuries jewish physicians were frequently in attendance on kings and the higher nobility on bishops and archbishops cardinals, and even popes. Every now and then the spirit of intolerance among the populace was aroused, and occasionally the death of some distinguished patient while in a Jewish physician's hands was made the occasion for persecution. We must not forget, after all, that even as late as Elizabeth's time, when Shakespeare wrote The Merchant of Venice, he was taking advantage of the popular sentiment aroused by the execution of lopez the queen's physician for a real or supposed participation in a plot against her majesty's life shylock was presented the next season for the sake of adventitious popularity that would thus accrue to the piece the character was played so as to depict all the worst traits of the Jew, and was scornfully laughed at every representation. This is an index of the popular feeling of the time. Bitter intolerance of the Jew has continued. Down almost to our own time, the ghettos have existed in Europe, and popular tumults against them continue to occur. Quite needless to say, these do not depend on Christianity, but on defective human nature. During the Middle Ages, the best possible criterion of the attitude of the church authorities towards the Jews is to be found in the legislation of Pope Innocent III. He is the greatest of the popes of the Middle Ages. He shaped the policy of the church much more than any other. His influence was felt for many generations after his own time. His famous edict, with regard to them, was well known, Let no Christian, by violence, compel them to come dissenting or unwilling to baptism. Further, let no Christian venture maliciously to harm their persons without a judgment of the civil power, or to carry off their property, or change their good customs, which they have hitherto in that district which they inhabit. End quote. Innocent himself and several of his predecessors and successors are known to have had Jewish physicians. Example speaks even louder than precept, and the example of such men must have been a wonderful advertisement for the Jewish physicians of the time. Besides Innocent III, many of the popes of the 12th and 13th centuries issued similar decrees as to the Jews. It may be recalled that this was the time when the papacy was most powerful in Europe and when its decrees had most weight in all countries. Alexander II, Gregory IX, and Innocent IV all issued formal documents demanding the protection of the Jews and especially insisting that they must not be forced to receive baptism nor disturbed in the celebration of their festivals. Clement VI did the same thing in the next century, and even offered them a refuge from persecution throughout the rest of France at Avignon. Distinguished Jewish scholars, who know the whole story from careful study, have given due credit to the popes for all that they did for their people they have even declared that if the jews were not exterminated in many of the european countries it was because of the protection afforded by the church we have come to realize in recent years that persecution of the jews is not at all a religious matter but is due to racial prejudice and jealousy of their success by the peoples among whom they settle All sorts of pretexts are given for this persecution at all times. Formal church documents and the personal activities of the responsible church officials show that during the Middle Ages, the church was a protector and not a persecutor of the Jews. There is abundant historical authority for the statement that the popes were uniformly beneficent in their treatment of the Jews. In order to demonstrate this, There is no need to quote Catholic historians, for non-Catholics have been rather emphatic in bringing it out. Neander, the German Protestant historian, for instance, said, It was a ruling principle with the popes, after the example of their great predecessor, Gregory the Great, to protect the Jews in the rights which had been conceded to them. When the banished popes of the twelfth century returned to Rome, the Jews went forth in their holiday garments to meet them, bearing before them the Torah and Innocent II. On an occasion of this sort, blessed them. English non-Catholic historians can be quoted to the same effect. The Anglican Dean Milman, for instance, said, quote, "Of all European sovereigns." The popes, with some exceptions, have pursued the most humane policy towards the Jews. In Italy, and even in Rome, they have been more rarely molested than in the other countries. Hollam has expressed himself to the same effect, especially as regards the protection afforded to the Jew by the laws of the Church from the injustice of those around him. Laws sometimes fail of their purpose, and the persecuting spirit of the populace is often hard to control, but everything that the central authority could do to afford protection was done and essential justice was enshrined in the church laws. Prominent ecclesiastics would naturally follow the lines laid down by their papal superiors. The attitude of those whose lives mark epochs in the history of Christianity, and who had more to do almost with the shaping of the policy of the Church at many times than the popes themselves, can be quoted readily to this same effect. Neander has called particular attention to St. Bernard's declarations with regard to the evils that would follow any tolerance of such an abuse as the persecution of the Jews. The most influential men of the Church protested against such unchristian fanaticism when the Abbot Bernard of Clairvaux was rousing up the spirit of the nations to embark in the Second Crusade and issued for this purpose, in the year 1146, his letters to the Germans, East Franks, he at the same time warned them against the influence of those enthusiasts who strove to inflame the fanaticism of the people he declaimed against the false zeal without knowledge which impelled them to murder the jews a people who ought to be allowed to live in peace in that country but it has been said that there are decrees against jewish physicians issued especially in the south of France by various councils and synods of the Church. Attention needs to be called at once to the fact that these are entirely local regulations and have nothing to do with the attitude of the Church as a whole, but represent what the ecclesiastical authorities of a particular part of the country deem necessary for some special reason in order to meet local conditions. Indeed, at the end of the 13th and the early 14th century, when these decrees were being issued at France, full liberty was allowed in Italy, and there were no restrictions, either as to medical practice or education founded on adhesion to Judaism. What need to be realized in order to understand the issuance of certain local ecclesiastical regulations forbidding jews to practise medicine are the special conditions which developed in france at this time many jews had emigrated from spain to france and the reputation acquired by jewish physicians at montpellier led to a number of the race taking up the practice of medicine without any further qualification than the fact that they were jews that gave them a reputation for curative powers of itself because of the fame of some jewish doctors and their employment by the nobility and the highest ecclesiastics it was hard to regulate these wandering physicians as a consequence of this the faculty at paris always jealous of its own rights and those of its students at the beginning of the fourteenth century absolutely forbade Jews from practicing on Christian patients within its jurisdiction. Of course, the faculty of the University of Paris was dominated by ecclesiastical authorities. The medical school was, however, almost entirely independent of ecclesiastical influence, and was, besides, largely responsible for this decree. It was felt that something had to be done, to stop the evil that had arisen, and the charlatanry and quackery which was being practiced. This was, however, rather an attempt to regulate the practice of medicine, and keep it in the hands of medical school graduates, than an example of intolerance toward the Jews. Practically no Jews had graduated at its university, Montpellier being their favorite school, and Paris was not a little jealous of its rights to provide for physicians from the northern part of France. We have not got away from manifestations of that spirit even yet, as our non-reciprocating state medical laws show. During the next quarter of a century, decrees not unlike those of the University of Paris were issued in the south of France, especially in Provence and Avignon. Anyone who knows the conditions which existed in the south of France at this time with regard to medical practice will be aware that a number of attempts were made by the ecclesiastical authorities just at this time to regulate the practice of medicine. Great abuses had crept in. Almost anyone who wished could set up as a physician and those who were least fitted were often best able to secure a large number of patients by their cleverness, their knowledge of men, and their smooth tongues. The bishops of various dioceses met and issued decrees forbidding anyone from practicing medicine unless he was a graduate of the medical school of the neighboring university of Montpellier. After a time, it was found that the greatest number of violators of these decrees were Jews. Accordingly, special regulations were made against them. They happened to be ecclesiastical regulations because no other authority at the time claimed the right to regulate medical education and the practice of medicine. What is sure is that many Jewish physicians reach distinction under Christian as well as Arabian rulers, at all times during the Middle Ages. It would be quite impossible, in the limited space, at command here, to give any adequate mention of what was accomplished by these Jewish physicians, whose names we have scarcely been able to more than catalogue, nor of the place they hold in their times. As the physicians of rulers, Their influence for culture and the cultivation of science was extensive, and, as a rule, they stood for what was best and highest in education. The story of one of them, who is generally known in the Christian world, at least Maimonides, given in some detail, may serve as a type of these Jewish physicians of the Middle Ages. He lived just before the flourishing period of university life, in the thirteenth century, brought about that wonderful development of medicine and surgery in the west of Europe that meant so much for the final centuries of the Middle Ages. His works influenced not a little the great thinkers and teachers, whose own writings were to be the foundations of education for several centuries after their time. Maimonides was well known in the Western universities. Though his life had been mainly spent in the East, and he died there, there was scarcely a distinguished scholar of Europe who is not acquainted directly or indirectly with his works, and the greater the reputation of the scholar as a rule, the more he knew of Maimonides, Moses aegyptaeus as he was called, and the more frequently he referred to his writings. End of chapter 3, part 2 of 2